Welcome to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. I'm Diana Britton, Managing Editor of wealthmanagement.com, and in this podcast, we explore some of the struggles and personal development issues facing advisors and financial services professionals, and how to get to a place of healing for mind, body, and spirit. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy Advisor podcast, and thanks for joining us. Uh, as, as you may know, this is the podcast focused on financial advisor health and well-being, and today's guest has a lot to say on the subject. Her name is Stephanie Bogan. She's the founder and CEO of Limitless Advisor, a coaching firm for advisors. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and I know this has been a long time in the making, um, but uh, you know, I really think Stephanie, we can really just learn a lot from her experiences, from her uh, journey. I mean, a lot of people know Stephanie. She's a sought-after business and practice management coach and speaker. Uh, you know, but less known is is her personal journey and her path to to find happiness, well-being, and and healing in her own life. Before starting Limitless, Stephanie founded a consulting firm at the age of 24 and sold it in a seven-figure deal to a Fortune 200 company. She then joined Joe Duran's executive team at United Capital, which was eventually uh, acquired by Goldman Sachs. In In 2014, she retired and moved to a beach in Costa Rica. Very jealous about that. Um, and she still works a couple months of the year from, from her Costa Rica home. Uh, but for most part, she's based in uh, Park City, Utah, uh, she says, um, you know, she spent those, those years studying the science of success and happiness, searching for the elusive something more and better hidden somewhere between the lines of my success. What I found blew my mind. And you know, something that Stephanie said to me prior to this podcast, um, you know, if we can't check our own bullshit and our own money stories then we're not in the most empowered position to do that with our clients. And, um, you know, excuse my language, but, you know, we're not (laughs) shy here. And I just think that that's really what this podcast is all about. Um, You know, if we can't get ourselves, uh, you know, if we can't be vulnerable ourselves and and be our own authentic selves, how can we, uh, you know, be empowered to do so with our clients? And so a lot of us do a good job trying to hide it. Um, trying to fake things, uh, but it, it doesn't that doesn't work. So Stephanie, I, I want to go back and and start by um, you know tell tell us about your journey. Tell us about uh, start with your childhood and and what what was your childhood like? Uh, inconsistent, <laughs> volatile. Uh, my father was in the military. He was actually in the army. Uh, so we moved. You know, every year. I don't. I think every it was like every year, eighteen months. Maybe it was two. Uh, until I was in third grade, my father, uh, we got out of the military and I was just really excited about being able to settle down. <clears throat> and my mom had uh, my sister who's 10 years younger than me. And then uh, shortly after that was diagnosed with a mental illness. Uh, so the next nine years, I think it was nine when that happened, uh, I moved out when I was 17. Uh, so the next nine years were really uh, just more of that same cycle. We would you know, be at home for a while. My mom would be in the hospital we go to my grandparents or an aunt or an uncle's or someone from the church. Uh, so it was not the stability that I thought I was going to be getting. You know, my dad was a Vietnam vet, which I just have a lot of respect for, but like a lot of veterans 
Uh, I think he came back really suffering from PTSD. And so there was just, it's been decades now, you know, I say he is a much, you know, he, he jokes that he's an old, you know, broken gentle man, but you know, there were just, you know, things that happened, you know, between having a mentally ill mother and a PTSD father, you know, those nine years really that I went from, you know, constant change and movement to, uh, you know, a persistent form of trauma, uh, right. It was nine years of panic attacks and, episodes mm -hmm. and prescription bottles and psychiatric hospitals. And, you know, we'll just go with like, not the best stuff, not the worst, worst stuff, but definitely not the best stuff. Um, so really at the ripe old age of 17, I decided that uh, this just made no sense for me and I needed to leave. And so that was literally how my first foray into my career in financial services after literally Right. A few fast food jobs. I was living with my best friend for the uh, for my senior year of high school. And uh, when I started going to junior college, I actually had to get a job job. Uh, and I got a job as a receptionist in an insurance office when I was, what, 18? Uh, among other things during that period. But that was really, you know, maybe it was a year or two later, but that was really like sort of when I was coming, you know, like when you move out at 17 and you come from right, a you know, right, you know, kind of a, a, a level of trauma in your childhood, like you don't typically go out and do a bunch of wholehearted things. Mm -hmm. um, right. So I was young, I was uncertain, right. So it was just a, a few years of really trying to find myself. And I found myself in a lot of situations that had I pursued them, I'm not kidding, would have gone very, very, very badly. So I don't know if I'm an old soul, I have a guardian angel, I'm just mm -hmm. terrified of bad things. Um, you know, I would just go like with these people and experiences and, you know, and then every single time there was just something that pulled me back. And so there's lots of those stories. But when I, there was, there was a, there was sort of a traumatic incident. There was a lot of them, but I had a quasi boyfriend at the time. And I was basically his, I think I was like 18 or 19. I was, I think it was 18. I was his recovery girlfriend. And so I obviously didn't value myself enough to not be in that kind of relationship. But of course all I wanted, right, was to be loved. And my roommate at the time had decided to take uh, one of those alternative careers that I did not think would be a good idea. And I had let her know. So I came home to an apartment with, you know, the, like full on movie, right? Nothing oh, in gosh. it. The rent can of money is empty. All my shit's gone. I mean, I'm not kidding you. Mm. So I call my right quasi boyfriend. And uh, so wait, sorry, she stole all your stuff. Is that what happened? All of it. St yeah. Her and the girl that wanted to get us into a bunch of trouble stole all my stuff and our rent money. Oh, God. So at this point, the only person I have to call is quasi boyfriend. And we are so broke. We don't even have a phone in our apartment. There's like a Caro's at the end of the parking lot. And they, you know, like you walk in and there's like an entryway and there was a pay phone at the back. Right. I'm 50 now. So this is obviously a while ago, 30 years ago. Like you would walk in and the payphone was directly in front of you. So I go to the payphone. I call his house. His dad picks up the phone. I cannot make this stuff up. I'm bawling. You know, she took the money. I need to find him. You know, I need some help. And the dad says to me, oh, you don't need to find him. You need a sugar daddy. Mm. To which I reply instinctively, thank goodness. I could never do that to, I'm just going to insert Mike here. I could, it's not Mike. I could never do that to Mike. That would be awful. And just as I say that, because I had first left a message on Mike's phone in this example, 
Mike knew I would be at the Caros and literally walked in just as I said, I could never do that, right? Like you're his dad. And he like freaks out, grabs the phone, is like in a fit of rage, leaves. I run home to my empty apartment crying. Mm. He shows up like 20 minutes, like this story just gets good. Shows up 20 minutes later. I said, get in the car. Now, just assume, right? I'm 17, 18, completely, you know, naive and experienced, have no idea what I'm doing. Get in the car. He pulls a gun on me and he's like, you know, you're not going to F up my family. And I was like, I'm so naive that I'm like trying to argue with him. That's not what happened. Like he's oh going to listen, like he's going to listen to me. And he's like, if you F with my family, I'm going to shoot you. And I'm like, you're not going to shoot me. And then at some point, like I realized he's not right. I should, he's like, get out of the car. And I'm like, okay. And I got out of the car and I went back to my apartment where I once again sat on the floor with my knees to my chest, bawling, thinking to myself, I got to go. And Mm. so there was just a lot, you know, like that was really the period of working through my insecurity and my worth and deciding, you know, the story of the wolf, right? Which wolf are you going to feed the light or the dark? Like I had every opportunity to really go that down those paths. Um, and that was a, just a crystalline moment in my life where I was like, I just have to like walk away. And I literally called my grandparents who weren't the nicest people. And they lived out in the hillbillies, which was the worst thing I could imagine. But I was like, I need to come stay with you. Mm. And that was sort of where, right. I had to like figure out what phase two of my life was going to be like. Cause I was pretty sure of one thing, which in hindsight has really driven everything, which is I didn't want to be like the people in phase one. Like I just could not be those people. Phase that one is, meaning. That is my childhood. Yeah. And a fun story along the way. <laughs> my first big adult story. Yeah. What do you mean phase one? Is it like the. Well, just all of that, like up to 18, we don't have any control. So, you yeah. know, we, in coaching, we always talk about, right. In consulting, like we're giving, you know, advice and opinions and direction, but in coaching, it's much more about really uncovering what we want and what's standing between us and that. And, you know, zero to 18, we don't know the way that our brains actually work is we just tend to absorb and assume most things are our fault, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not, right? Not enoughness is the number one disease on the planet. And so, but in coaching, we talk about there's a difference between fault and responsibility. And this is where the difference between victimhood and ownership shows up, right? Whether in our personal lives or our practices, what happened to me was not my fault. Mm. What I did with it is a hundred percent my responsibility. Mm. And I'm going to be honest with you. Anyone who's ever been through any kind of shit like that will tell you that that's right. And it still sucks. There's mm-hmm. nothing that feels good about like, oh, that wasn't my fault that people did all these things to me. But I still get to, oh, lucky me, I get to be responsible for it. No, like it's not a good hand to be dealt. Mm. But the only alternative is to choose to step out of it. And we simply cannot, because if you go through anything like that, like you're going to have wounds, emotional, sometimes physical, right? Like all forms of, depending on who you are in your situation, there are always wounds. And whether you went through trauma or not, Mm-hmm. could have grown up in the happiest, healthiest homes, you're going to have limiting beliefs. You're going to have places where the stories in your brain tell you that you can't, you shouldn't, you don't know how, you're not good enough, you're an imposter, people are going to find you out. You can still be a happy, healthy person and feel those things. It's called being human. The science says we all suffer from that. Mm-hmm. And those limiting beliefs are all, it, right? This is where we go deeper. Those limiting beliefs are all steeped in wounds. 
Mm. your parents, somebody, right? And so we all work from our wounds. If we don't feel good enough, like I didn't, like I grew up in a house where you had to be perfect or pleasing or really bad things would happen. Mm. So I learned to be perfect and pleasing. The problem is you can make a lot of money, right? With approving strategy. So we tend to hide behind walls, these invisible force fields of protecting and proving and hiding and defending. Mm. And I was a, I was the like if there was a podium for proving, they'd have to invent a platinum medal for me. <laughs> like if that, you know, like, and it made me like a really great business person. It made me a lot of money. Like, man, I'm great at client experience. And I'm like, because I'm like, I think about every day, like, how could I make this the best, most no one could possibly do anything except love the experience I'm gonna take them through. I have to think about everything. I didn't know that's why I was thinking about it that way. Yeah. But we all work from our wounds. So yeah, when we when we realize that, again, not because we're broken, you don't have to be broken to be better. You just have to want to be better. Like there's always more and better available to us in our relationships, our bodies, our businesses, our bank accounts. Our, and our job is to ask, to be aware enough to ask ourselves where we are on that path and, you know, where what level of responsibility do we want to have? Because whether it's just I want to take back my time and my business, I'm tired of feeling overwhelmed and overworked and underpaid, mm -hmm. or hey, I had a traumatic childhood. I have learned that two things, and you alluded to it, this is probably what I had said relative to how you opened, was I learned somewhere along the way that none of us will change until we get tired of our own bullshit. Mm. Period. My mother-in-law has a much more elegant way of saying it, which is when he's had enough, he'll get up from the table. Mm. And I'm like, she'd be wise. <laughs> She's just, she'd be wise. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you get up from that apartment floor and, and move past that point in your life? That is a fabulous question. I have to tell you, I, my whole consulting and now coaching career, I realized at one point was really founded in my trying to solve for what was the difference between you know, tra you know, train wreck, tragedy, and triumph and thriving. Like, why did some people go through bad things and, you know, end up on a street corner? And why do other people end up, you know, these great stories, like people go off to Harvard, right? They did their work on a doorstep at 11 o'clock at night. Like, what, yeah. what is the spark that really separates us from others? And I think, you know, I think we all sort of have an inherent you know, style, like, you know, there's something that like I went on, we went on this uh, consulting retreat years and years ago with a different consultant. I thought they did a fabulous job and they had us go through this exercise where we had to come up with one, the one word that best described us. That is a hard ass exercise. One word, not three mm. words, not 10 words, one word. So we it went right through this process. It's very hard. I challenge anyone to do it. Do you know what my word ended up being? What? Tenacity. Mm. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the strongest. I'm definitely not perfect. I really stopped trying to be quite so pleasing. Um, if I look back on my life and my experiences and my success, there is some element of tenacity in me. And that, you know, like is very much a, a function of my childhood. When you go through those things, you I always joke with people that you either turn left or you turn right, right? You become mm. that because our brains are, the way our brains work is we're really hardwired and conditioned to repeat those behaviors, those models of behavior. 
or you take a hard right where something inside you says, oh, that was not cool. I am not doing that. And I can remember being a kid in some really unfortunate situations, looking at the grownups around me and thinking to myself in a very aware way, this is really effed up. Like, yeah. this is not right. Like, this should not, these grownups are not acting like grownups. This is not how it's supposed to go. Like, someone get me the heck. And I felt so powerless. Mm. And so much of what holds us back in our life personally and especially professionally, but there's no real separation, is that at some level when we don't feel our worth, when we feel some version of not enoughness, when we feel fear and certainty and doubt and and anxiety and stress at levels that keep us from showing up in a clear, conscious, right, creative, committed, expanded space, like we're not going to have our best experience. We're not going to have our best practice. We're going to make compromised decisions. We're going to work with too many people for too little, for too long. We're not going to take control of our time. We're going to feel overwhelmed. Like we're going to sit there going, I know it's supposed to be better and different. I just don't know why I can't get it to be that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, tenacity is just a form of responsibility, which is, I don't think I'm awesome for it, by the way. I think it was the inevitable outcome of my situation, which was either things go really bad or you figure out, and I don't think this is necessarily a good thing, right? This is part of the work. You figure out that the only person that you can count on is you. Mm -hmm. So like tenacity is a form of independence. Like one of my husband's favorite sayings is when you're going through hell, you don't stop and sit down. Mm. Like what was my option? Like I had to pick myself up and figure it out. I had to figure out how I was going to move out at 17 and take care of myself. I had to figure out hey, this shit is showing up in my life and my relationships in ways that are probably not serving me. Like this doesn't feel healthy and wholehearted. Like this is not who I want to be. Okay. Like that's the, we cannot change until we take responsibility for what's happening, even if it's not our fault. And I think all of us have that tenacity inside of us. It's my circumstances really forged that tenacity. That was just my response to it. But I think that's that to me is the governing characteristic in my life is like life happened and mm -hmm. I just kept getting up. So it's either I'm tenacious or I'm really dumb because I just keep getting <laughs> up and coming back and getting up and coming back and saying that hurt. I didn't like it. You know, we're really all good at beating ourselves up. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what am I going to do with this? You know, my favorite client fired me. My business isn't profitable. My spouse left me. Like, whatever it is, the only question you can ever really ask yourself is like, what's happening and what am I going to do about it? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What am I doing? That's consciousness. That's awareness. And we spend just so much of our time not in that space because we're, right, we're really working from our stories is, is what all the neuroscience says. Yeah, you know, I I think that's great that you were able to recognize that at a young age that this was wrong and you had to get out of that. Um, I don't think a lot of people in your position would, and you know, it's obviously produced, um, you know, perseverance and grit in in you that you know has made you very successful. So I know, you know, we no one can argue, you know, your success. Um, you know, you started uh, your firm at the age of twenty four. You sold it. Uh, you know, then you joined Joe Duran's team. And then tell us about, you know, what happened in 2014 and, you know, sort of retiring to Costa Rica. What were you going through at that point? 
Uh, I think I just been going through like 34 years of proving and, you know, like the, the United Capital, you know, we'd sold the firm to Genworth, you know, integrated there, took a couple, took a year off, went to Turks and Caicos, joined Joe's team, got to build out, right. The, if you're familiar with what is now the FinLife platform, right. That whole client experience, I, I led yeah. the team that helped to develop that out after kind of gen one, which was, I, I think it's still the best, coolest thing out there. Um, there's some really cool stuff out there, but it like it really did set the bar a decade before anyone else even went there. Truly one of the coolest, funnest things uh, and impactful things that I think I've worked on, like scaling stuff is super fun for me, right? Advice models, sales processes, et cetera. But two years into that, I had, so I think I had Parker and Emma at that point. So Emma would have been, I was three when we moved to Costa Rica. Uh, she was three. And I was going back and forth to Newport one day a week. And, you know, the best way to describe United Capital at that time was, right, you get to put your seatbelt on because it's a rocket ship to the moon, right? A great mm. vision, fast growing company, um, right? Like that's a rocket ship. And I'd already sold a company and done the rocket ship. So my deal with Joe was like, it'll be more lifestyle based. And it really had been. But then when we got the third round of funding, I think it was like 40 million, I had to sign off on every deal that we did. So I evaluated every firm, the M&A team went through it, and then I had to sign off, right, that... They met the bar and we could trans, you know, get through the whole process and we felt good about it and the whole thing. And and then it was like, you need to fly here and you need to fly here and you need to fly there. And that level of like engagement with the, you know, with two very young kids and really 30 years of proving, re mm. 20 years of proving at that point had just built up where I just like I kept looking for some level of success that was going to satiate the thing inside me. I call it the princess and the pea. If anyone's old enough to remember that kit children's story where yep. the princess is in this wonderful castle and this beautiful bed on silk sheets and a feather comforter. And she's just uncomfortable. And she asked for another mattress and then another, and then another, and you know, they can't figure it out. And finally, Someone comes in and figures out there's a pee under the mattress after, you know, they're piled up to the moon. Mm -hmm. And it's that it's the, you know, I could never quite enjoy my success. So I was on the cover of magazines. I sold a company, like all the good stuff, right? Like check all the boxes, beautiful family, wonderful house on the hill, money in the bank. And I literally, I thought there was this formula to feeling better. And I was like, holy hell, I, I checked all the boxes and I don't feel better. And then I felt really lost. So then I just kept throwing myself into my work, which is a, you know, workaholics and busyness are great coping strategies, by the way, just <laughs> as much as drugs or alcohol or anything else. Like they're very, they're just more socially acceptable coping strategies. Like that and working out are better options for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but they're still coping strategies. And so I ultimately got to a place where I was having uh, migraines for no reason. And I, at one point broke out like constantly. And at one point I broke out into a full body rash and I was sitting with my son at the playground and I Googled it, of course, and I had no other symptoms, blah, but basically it was like, you have, you know, stage four leukemia and you're about to die. And I was like, <laughs> sitting, I'll never like sitting on the playground, just eyeball, like crying, like, what am I doing? You know, Gotta like, love WebMD. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, like literally had for years at this point, Diana had more than enough money to not work. Mm. And yet here I was back in the, you know, proving game again, not con like not in, I wasn't like, Ooh, look at me. I'm so awesome. It was just my needs. We all as humans are any issue in your, in your life, your relationship, your, anything 
that is a persistent issue, that's a negative experience, person, situation, feeling, is a 100% guarantee that something needs to be tended to, Mm. period. And at a behavioral level, like at a pure psychological level, it means that at a human level, we're not getting our needs met, our need for Mm. acceptance, love, security, safety, belonging, partnership, expansion, intimacy, you know, adventure, like I don't, whatever your needs are, we're humans, we have lots of them. Um, And so for me, all of that success was an attempt to get my need met. I thought that success was going to make me feel significant. I thought that making money was going to give me meaning and that that feeling, you know, inside me that I called the whirly wheel, the stress, the anxiety, the insecurity, the crippling doubt at times. I thought that would all go away when I had met these conditions. And what I realized in my own experience, but certainly through coaching, is when we're all just trying to get our needs met and we're sitting in that space, like we're not really clear about what we're trying to solve for. So what Mm -hmm. I was really trying to solve for were unmet needs. Right. Hey, you know, I'm afraid to go out and market is not really you like when you know you need to isn't about I can't do marketing. Anybody can figure out marketing if they're motivated. It's about the story in your head about what marketing means and what if I get rejected and what if I fail and it's right better to fail than to, than to know I can't. Like there's so many stories that run through our head. Some of them we can right put a, a, a finger on and some of them we really can't until we start to ask reflective questions and pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um And that was the thing for me is I suddenly realized that I had been sleepwalking through my entire life working on a script of conditioned living. And this was the thing around coaching, which is conditioned living says, and this is how most people live, by the way, and right, I still have to work at it all the time. If this happens, then I will be happy, satisfied, fulfilled, okay. Mm. Another version of that, the ever so popular relationship version of this, whether it's a partner, right, a a staff person or an actual relationship, if you would just fill in the blank, behave this way, then I would fill in your version of feel so much better. Everything would be okay. Why can't you just do that for me? Mm -hmm. Think about your relationship, like where your spouse breaks down. If you would just put your laundry in the garbage hamper, in the laundry hamper, I would feel like you saw my effort and respected that I'm, you know, staying home. Like it's an unmet need to feel respected. It's not that we actually care that the laundry is not in the hamper, right? So like those are the things that, again, it doesn't mean every time my husband doesn't put the laundry in the hamper that my need's not being met. But if that's like something that's coming up over and over and over again, if it's a persistent negative experience or feeling, then my question is, why wouldn't we want to deal with it? Like, why do we tolerate it? And it's because mm-hmm. we we believe that conditioned living is the model. If my conditions are met, then I can be happy. If the driver in front of me is going fast enough, I don't have to get frustrated. BS. Yeah. The driver mm-hmm. should be able to go, like, that's his journey. You can go around him. You can make choices. Again, that's, it's triggering a reaction in us. And our job is to like really figure out when are we conscious? Because that's where we want to make all our good decisions from. And when are we operating on that condition kind of autopilot that we're just so subject to because of how our brains work? Yeah. Let me ask you this. I mean, I know that, you know, you sort of grew up with these, with this desire to be perfect and pleasing and 
you know, the insecurities um, that you had and, and the, you know, feeling unloved and unwanted, how have you, you know, sort of healed from those feelings or have you? I, I, and I know, um, I think you mentioned that you did, you know, I, I think you might have talked to your mom and dad about these, uh, your how you grew up. And I, I'm wondering if that brought you any sort of healing. Yeah. So my mom, uh, very interestingly died, uh, before we really got to, she, if there was a way for my mom to make it, you know, difficult, like she, she went ahead and did that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, and again, may have totally made peace with that. I did actually at one point have a conversation with my father on the advice of one of my coaches, right. To really just right, we call it completion. And like, you gotta, like, we literally store memories and, and experiences in our, in our, in our brain and our neural pathways with our biochemicals and our body, with our energy, and we don't let them go. Right. And that's where, right. That, 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 little bit of feeling turns into over time, consistency compounds to the positive or the negative. Fear turns into anxiety, your stress turns into anxiety, turns into, turns into the next anxiety, depression, right? Like judgment, blame, criticism, like those things just escalate and magnify. So I think I lost, I I think I actually lost track of the question there. I don't remember what you were asking me. How did you uh, sort of overcome those uh, feelings? Uh, of like the honest answer, feeling? the honest answer is a lot of self work. Like really, in the beginning stages of that, were really slow, messy, and painful, and sometimes still are because I had no idea what I was doing. Right, I was like picking up a book, or and like you have to like honestly, you know, again, like shifting mindsets and beliefs does not like you don't have to be laying on a couch and like crying into a tissue box for hours. That's not required. Like that's usually not the case in the coaching work, right? We're just trying to identify coaching is like focused forward. Therapy is right going back and healing. So the honest answer is I did a lot of self-work on Mm. my own and that didn't get me near as far as I wanted to. So I got really smart, which is you don't have to have all the answers to, to get what you want in life. You have to be willing to surround yourself with the people who do. So, right, I got a coach at different points in my life. I've had, you know, sat down with therapists to really like dig into some of those deeper traumatic issues, you know, and that has been a really helpful, constructive process. There are some coaches that are honestly better than half the therapists I've ever met. Um, And again, it depends on the issue, but like coaching again is much more about where you are and what are the possibilities you want to create. And let's just talk about what's in your way, right? business coaches, personal coaches, health coaches, financial coaches. Therapy is really about going back and healing wounds. And what we always tell people, you know, I will often refer, you know, often, I will sometimes refer people out because, right, when you do that initial work, if that initial work isn't working and it's persistent, it means that there's a deeper wound there that you really do want to go see a therapist or like, you know, a trained professional to help you work through. So for a lot of people, coaching can get you so far or all the way there and honestly, if you've had complex childhood trauma, like you should probably go see a therapist. It, yeah. It's it's just, I know it's the scariest thing. And I'll tell you, like for me, like I, I, I'm working through some things right now in terms of like, what's my next up level and what's holding me back, right? So I've got a coach and I've reached out to a therapist that really specializes in complex childhood trauma, unresolved mm-hmm. complex childhood trauma, if you want the clinical term, and said, hey, like I've done all this work. I've seen coaches and therapists. Like I have gotten this good place in my life. And here's where I still feel like I don't have that level of full joy, freedom. Like here are places where the, like, you know, for me, COVID was a huge deal because it, like 
shut down all connection. It cost us a ton of money, which was totally fine. But like, while everyone else was dealing with COVID in their house, I moved 10 times between three countries because we were like expat refugees. Mm. Right. And so, and it wasn't that we didn't have enough money, but I grew up in like in a trailer park and like the worst fights my parents had were over lots of stuff, but money was one of them. And so money for me, especially, you know, is like, it's like that deep, deep, deep trigger. Like if something's going to trigger me, that might be it. And, you know, it doesn't mean I'm not going on with my life and everything, but I just noticed that it kind of kicked me. Like there were times where I feel like my kids would always be like, mom is the happiest person. Like that was just their definition of mom was happy and positive. And then there was like this period last year and there's like a long story, life, business, people, like whatever, right? Like life happens. But then there was this period where I noticed that that started to feel different and I started to feel more anxious. And I don't want to say depressed because it's not, but it was like that, that joy and motivation like wasn't there at the same level. And then let's be really honest, because it's me. Then I went through this whole guilt and shame thing because it's me, like I'm the consultant and the coach and I'm supposed to be perfect and I'm supposed to know it all. And people expect me to have it all figured out. I have the key. You know, I'm like, I'm a business coach, not a life coach. I don't have the answers to everyone's lifelong problems, happiness and joy, but somehow everyone (laughs) thinks I do. And now I'm working through stuff and what's wrong with me. And then I just had to have, right. And it, to make it all better, my wonderful coach, because I believe all coaches should have coaches. It's how you right deal with your own stuff so you can sit in an open space with your clients. And again, a lot of my stuff is focused on the business side, but all this mindset stuff shows up. Uh, my coach literally died at about the same time. So that one person that I could go to who knew you know, all my bad stories and all the hard stuff and my safe space was gone. Mm. And the thought of starting over, dealing with that grief and digging into my childhood trauma at the same time sounded freaking awful. And- it's post COVID. Like we're trying to reorient our life We're you know, people are moving in the company. Like for all of us, it was a period of like a lot more, right? Like just a lot of more change and complexity. So all of this emotion, and I don't like, I don't have any time for this. I can handle it. Right. And then, you know, one day I'm like, oh, I am not feeling like it's showing up in a way that I'm not feeling great about. Okay. Mm. What do I need to account for? Like, oh, okay. Like my coach died. Maybe I need to grieve. Like, maybe I need to grieve that. Hey, these other things have happened and I've just been like stuffing it down for three years, right? Like I haven't been, you know, like we haven't been out. We haven't been connected, like all this stuff. And I felt for a moment, like I'm, how did, like, am I broken? Like I'm supposed to have, all. I'm supposed to know this stuff. And then I realized, oh wait, I'm human. I'm just human, which is we're not all going to be completely centered, clear, conscious. Like that's our Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, like I reached out to some of my closest clients and I was like, look, I'm going to take a couple months. I've got some like some things I'm going to really dive into. Like I've just turned 50. Like I'm going to take this period and really go through reflection and work and some ther- like some very specialized therapy, like this doesn't have to be a three-year process. Like I've got some very specific things that I want to up-level. And I know now I don't want to waste time and energy. Like let's go in, let's do the work because what is on the other side is my up-level, my next level of abundance, joy, positivity, contribution, impact, and influence. And I have to be willing to sit in the space of doing the work. And what I said to my close, you know, to my clients was, 
I want to be the kind, this is the hardest conversation that I could possibly have because I feel like everyone thinks I'm supposed to have the answers, even though I have never advertised that. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I want to be is authentic. And I want to be a person that, you know, that when I sit in this space with you, that you can count on me to be clear and conscious and focused on you. And right now I need to be honest and tell you that I need to spend a couple months focused on me. And when I come back, I'll be a hundred percent focused on you and all the better for it. And I hope that's okay. And I can't even tell you how hard that was because my clients aren't like Joe Schmo. My clients are right. Like Michael kids, like people at the like leadership level of this space and my peers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to say like, for me, I, the biggest shift for me, Diana, was that I realized somewhere along the way in one of the many breakdowns that I couldn't be perfect and I couldn't be pleasing because those were conditioned on other people. Like if I give you that power, if you will do this, then I will be happy. I'm never, ever, ever going to be happy. It's going to yeah. be so fleet. And that's what we're all dealing at different forms of degrees, but that's what we're all ultimately dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I just decided that that was not like, that was not that if I was going to do a bunch of, spend a bunch of energy on myself, I wanted it to be like being a better person, not being, not like managing the breakdowns. Um, And so, yeah, I guess that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, that's a great place to end here. Um, But uh, I mean, you just made so many good points there. And I feel like I could go on for hours talking to you about this stuff because I think it's really important. Uh, I mean, this is, you're on a journey, right? It's not like you got to a point where everything was great and happy and you felt wholeness, you know? Um, I mean, maybe there were moments of that, but it's, it's, it's a process and, and um, you know, we're constantly growing and, and learning about ourselves. And I think it's an, also a great point just that you know, you're, you're sort of a leader out there in the industry. Um, but even leaders have to, you know, take care of themselves and, and think about, you know, what, what you're going through and, and, and try to, you know, work through just the things that you're going through. Um, and so I think that's a, a, a great point to end on. Um, but I, I'd like to thank my guest, Stephanie Bogan for being on the podcast and, and just opening up here, about her life. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Diana. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share my story. Yeah. And if you'd like to reach out to Stephanie, you can reach her at connect at limitlessfa.life. You can email her there or you can uh, just get more information at limitlessfa.life, which is her website. If you have a struggle yourself, you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at diana.britton at informa.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your particular situation.